Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me for episode 27 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. I am your host, Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. You can find detailed show notes for this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 27. So if you're somewhere right now where you can't take notes, don't worry. I got your back. These are very detailed notes that you can reference later at your convenience. So, you know, it's very easy to talk about achieving a healthy work-life balance, right? Uh, You know, I can talk about this all day long. You've read the articles. You've listened to the podcast to talk about it. But we all know that it's much harder to put this idea into practice. Now, I'm not a believer in this concept or this ideal that... um, you know, the, the goal here is to always be in balance. I think being in balance all the time is is unrealistic. I don't know of anyone who can do that. I don't think we're meant to, to be doing that. However, I, th- I think what we should be striving for is to be in balance, to achieve some sort of healthy work-life balance over a period of time, over the course of a year. I think we're, it's natural to be off balance. And my co-author, Pete Savage, talks about this in the book we wrote together with Steve Sloan White, The Wealthy Freelancer, and he explains this very, very well. Now, I think that um, this is an issue, though, that most of us really struggle with, and it happens, and it's something we struggle with at every phase of our business. So don't think that this is something that impacts you only once you're very successful. It happens all the time. When you're getting started, you're trying to prospect like a mad person, and you're spending a lot of time learning about building your business or learning about your craft. So you know, where do you draw the line? Where do you stop? It's very difficult. As you get going and you keep building and growing your business and you're getting clients, you're working through those early inefficiencies of your business. You're trying to figure out where you stop. You know, what it's um you don't want to stop. You want to do a really good job for your clients. So you maybe work a little bit harder than you should. And then once you're established and you're financially successful, it's just difficult to decide when to dial things down. You're just afraid that, oh my gosh, I don't want to turn this down or I don't want to say no to these people because I don't know when the next project's going to come, when the next client's going to come. Even if you're doing extremely well, that fear is always there. So I'm very impressed when I run into freelancers who can achieve a healthy balance over time, despite these challenges that we all face. And that's why I asked Rachel Foster to come into the show. Rachel is a very successful six-figure freelancer, and she is based in Toronto. We worked together this past summer on a coaching basis, and I just immediately loved the clarity that Rachel has about her business, her values, her purpose, and the boundaries that she sets in her business. She's very clear about these things. She's very passionate and um, and I asked her, hey, you know, would you mind coming into the show and, and talking about this? I, I I would say that if achieving any sort of healthy balance in your business and work life is important to you, I really think you're going to get a lot of, out of this episode. So I hope you enjoy it, and I'll come back to you here at the end of the interview. 
Hey, Rachel, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. So, you know, you and I have talked, been talking for a long time, and I know we've, uh, we've had quite a few coaching calls, and I think that's where this came up, this issue of work-life balance, work-life balance, for lack of a better term, right? And, and we talked about setting boundaries, and you had some really interesting ideas and thoughts on this topic. So it's, um, it, it's great to, to have you here to discuss something that I think it's, it's so important, but we just don't seem to really address it as much as we do in this community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it. So bef- before we get to that, though, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do for a living, what type of clients you work with, that, that sort of thing. Okay, so I'm a freelance B2B copywriter, and I'm based out of Toronto. And the companies that I work with tend to be B2B technology companies, mid-sized to larger. And I do all sorts of things for them for, um, you know, website, copy, uh, white papers, case studies, press releases, pretty much anything they need there. Gotcha. Okay. And um, how long have you been doing this? I've been freelance for about four years now. Okay. Okay. So you're, yeah, you're, you've been, you've been at it a while. You've, you've, uh, and I know from just our relationship that, uh, you stay pretty busy. Yeah, definitely. I have a, a, a good amount of clients right now. I try to keep the schedule balanced so that I could, uh, keep everyone happy and then still, uh, maintain my own, uh, schedule too and things I have going on. And so that's a good segue into my first question. Just just to kind of add some context to this conversation, give us an idea of what a typical work week looks like for you. Um, and specifically, I'm wondering how many hours you work, uh, when, if you have times when you start and end or that you shoot for, and uh, how many clients and projects you have at any given time. So I'm typically Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, um, and so I tend to wake up in the morning. I do a, a short yoga workout just to get my mind focused and to get balanced for the day, and I find that that helps a lot with clarity and then keeping me energized throughout the day, and then when I start right at 9, I could be really focused and just jump right into that writing there, and um, so I and then I think in the sometimes in the late afternoon or in the evening I'll do another workout um, later on too, just because I, I like working out a lot. And um, and so sometimes if I work out in the afternoon I might work a little bit later, maybe till about six six thirty. But for the most part it's pretty balanced. And as okay. for cl- as for clients, I think I typically. I find that if I have three clients I'm working with in any given week, that um, is a good workload for me, although it depends on the scope of the projects. Like if I have a client and I'm waiting a long time for them to get back to me, I might pick up another client or two just to keep things balanced. Okay. Okay. And in terms of, um, so nine to five. So this is, I mean, you try to keep a 40 hour work week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that's the best because I really um, want to keep uh, to take my weekends off. Um, sometimes I get so busy that I have to go into the weekends. And for a while, I was going into a lot of my weekends, and I just started to to really uh, get frustrated with that because I felt like I didn't have time for anything else other than work. And so I've tried to do um, some strategies and some techniques to help me so that I can get those weekends off. Well, definitely want to talk about that today because I think this is something that we all fall into. I know I'm guilty of it. It's very easy to fall into this. Well, you know, I'll just let it kind of uh, fall, fall into the weekend and carry over into the weekend and you try to catch up on the weekend. But it, it, it seems like you never catch up anyway. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, when I was going into a lot of my weekends, my assistant, she uh, had, a, had a talk with me or, or talking to, and she <laughs> told me I had to straighten out my schedule during the week so I didn't work the weekends. And so we came up with some some ideas. And one of the things that I had to really get good at was making sure that I wasn't doing a lot of personal things during business hours. So I made a rule with myself that said if I can't get it done, you know, all my personal stuff for an hour during the day, whether it's in a workout or going to the grocery store or something like that, then that would have to wait until the weekend because there's just no time for it. Otherwise, I'd be cutting into my evenings and weekends with a lot of work that would just start to uh, drain me after a while. I think it's really smart. And a lot of people say, oh, my gosh, but I want that freedom and flexibility. But the thing is, it, it, right, if you want that freedom and flexibility, you got to do what, what you got to do during work hours so that you can have that freedom later in the evenings and the weekends. So. Mm-hmm, definitely. So let's talk about, okay, so you, you mentioned time. What other boundaries have you set in your business? In, in, tell me a little bit about those. Um, well, I have a dedicated office space. Uh, last year we moved, and now I have my own um, in-home office with a door that shuts so I could keep everything else out. And uh, last year we were living in a one-bedroom apartment, so I was uh, so I was uh, working out of my living room for many years. And, you know, it was just very distracting because the TV was in there, and it was just so open to everything else. And I was always staring at my computer even when I wasn't working because it would be there, piles of work next to it. So having the dedicated office space. I noticed that ever since we moved and I have an office where I could shut the door, I'm a lot more efficient because I don't have the distractions in my office. It's just work. And then later on when I want to, when I don't want to work, I just shut the door and I don't have to look at it. Yeah. So you keep it locked away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, that makes sense that I've heard a lot of people say that. I kind of take it for granted because I've always had a home office. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can imagine how difficult it would be for me to work out of my living room. Yeah, it's very distracting. What what other boundaries have you found uh, are helpful? Um, I always make time for exercise. No excuses right there. Because I find that um, I, I like to exercise in the um, late afternoon, usually around 3, 3.30 when you're starting to get that that slump. And I find that for me, exercising is a way to pick me up. And I, I sometimes I also get to the point where I'm writing and things are going and I'm writing a lot and it's flowing. And then it will stop flowing and I might spend 20 minutes uh, nitpicking over a sentence. And that's when I realize that I really need to take a break. I need to get moving. And then I do my workout, and when I come back to things, I find that things flow a lot easier. So I think I'm even gaining more time by taking time to exercise. Tell me, would you mind sharing a little bit about your workout and what kind of what kind of exercise you do? Oh, yeah. So I, I think I said in the morning, I just do a very short yoga workout just to kind of energize myself and wake up. And I'm doing these videos right now through a website called My Yoga Online, and they're doing a, a morning yoga challenge. And so the videos are anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour, but I tend to do the shorter ones because I really don't have more than a half hour in the morning. And because I don't commute, you know, it's uh, that's my commuting time right there <laughs> put to better <Yeah>. use. <laughs> and then um, in the afternoon, I, a couple times a week, I do more of like a hardcore strength workout, you know, kettlebell and things like that. And then um, if I don't do that, it's because in the evenings I'm either going to do Pilates at my Pilates studio or I'm doing um, going dancing because my husband and I are, are swing dancers and we're really active with all sorts of swing dancing here in Toronto. Now, I think you told me that one of the reasons why you decided to keep uh, actual work hours is you also didn't want to cut into some of those hobbies and, and, and uh, outside activities, right? Including the swing dancing. 
Yes, we have a ton of hobbies. And I was just talking to my husband about living in Toronto. And, you know, it could be expensive living in a big city like this. And he was saying that if if our hobbies were just, you know, working and then coming home and sitting around and watching TV, then we wouldn't need to live in the city. But because we have so many activities that we like to do and friends we like to hang out with, that it's really important for us to be here. And so at the same time, we want to make use of that and go out and do things and, and have fun. So that's very important to both of us. Now, it's got to be difficult to keep some of these boundaries intact. So I'm wondering, you know, how do you handle this voice in your head that says, you know what, it's okay to skip this workout today, or it's okay to work till six or seven tonight? Or, I mean, I understand that sometimes there are deadlines or pressing deadlines that there's just no way around it. But the day-to-day stuff, how do you handle that nagging voice? Um, well, if, if there's a pressing deadline, then, that, then I will work and I will put other things aside or move things around or rework my schedule so that I can meet that deadline. And I usually leave a couple of nights open a week in case something comes up like that where I need to work late so I could do that. And, um, but not every night because I, I don't want to be working every night. So I have other personal things that I schedule in there and I make a point of scheduling them, things that I cannot miss, I must go to. So um, I have those in my schedule as well. And as for, you know, skipping a workout, you know, sometimes it happens. Sometimes you just have to listen to your body. And if you're feeling tired from overtraining or something like that, you just need to take a break and just give yourself some rest. So skipping a workout here and there doesn't really bother me that much, but I don't want to, uh, I don't want to skip too often because it really affects my mood if I, uh, if I miss too much exercise. Yeah. So you've, yeah, you've identified how important it is and uh, you're in a way kind of cheating yourself. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm curious what happens if you ever, if you've had a couple of weeks where it's been just back to back deadlines and you seem to be making compromises, do you, ever, do you stop and, and kind of when it's all over and look back to see how you could have maybe done things better? And I mean, I'm not, I'm not leading you on here. I, I don't do that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but I'm wondering if, if you've done that before and if it's helped. Um, I think uh, a few months ago when I was uh, working quite a bit and it was going into the weekends, that's when my assistant gave me a talking to and she looked at my schedule and said, okay, you don't really need to do this during the day. You could do that on the weekend. And then all of a sudden, all this time just started coming together. And I think another thing that's important is doing what you're the best at and then outsourcing all the rest of it. So for example, I, I do the writing, but I outsource the proofreading because that's really time intensive. I'm not the best at it. I think that those are two different skill sets, writing and proofreading. So um, when I'm done with something, I send it to my proofreader and then they send it back to me and I don't have to spend a ton of time reviewing that final copy there. And then also having an assistant is really important because she takes on all of the things that I don't really like to do. And uh, she's an online business manager, which means that she has um, a company herself and she has all these people that work for her. And so because she has all these people, they can handle anything from helping me with my business strategy to updating my website to handling all my phone calls. And Interesting. right now they're handling all of my phone calls. So she suggested that I, I 
have my phone line go directly to her and that she would handle all of my scheduling. And at first I wasn't really sure about that because I thought, well, you know, I don't really get a ton of phone calls. I don't do a whole lot of scheduling. But ever since I sent all that work to her, I realized how much time I would spend scheduling meetings, scheduling interviews with people if I was writing an article or a case study, uh, scheduling phone calls, you know, and then canceling things and then rescheduling. It's a lot of time. So it has been a big help having her do all of that stuff. So I'd like to ask you a little bit more about that because I think a lot of people love the idea of having a, an assistant, either a virtual assistant or an online business manager, but they can't think of what they could give that person, what they could outsource that would make it worth their while in the assistance uh, time. So uh, you mentioned one of them, so scheduling calls, scheduling appointments, handling your incoming phone calls, anything else that you found that's an opportunity for someone like that to help you? Um, yeah, updating my website. If I write a blog post, they'll uh, upload the post, queue it, and then they'll go over into my email system and get it all ready to go out. You know, my email newsletters, um, web development, if uh, my website you know, if there's something wrong with it, they could uh, call the tech people and handle all the support. Um, I had a bunch of issues with my phone recently. So just annoying things like that, they were able to handle that and get everything straightened out. Um, and then my online business manager is really excellent with strategy. So we'll have brainstorming calls while she'll always keep me focused on the big picture and what I could do to grow my business. Oh, and one more thing that I think she's really excellent at. Um, when she gets those calls, she will qualify my new leads for me. So um, I, she is much better at talking me up than I could ever talk myself up. And she was able to get me a large contract recently with a client where I was in direct competition with writers who were priced lower than me and one writer who even had direct experience in the company's niche, which I, I didn't have. I mean, my experience was very close, but not not bang on. And she, um, because she was able to talk me up so well, I got the contract, which was oh, a wow. first. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So she's got quite a skill set here. We're mm. talking about administrative things such as scheduling, um, some tech stuff such as updating websites, which is not extremely technical, but still. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if it's too technical, she knows where to go to get it done. Mm -hmm. um, and then this the sales and marketing angle, that's actually pretty unique. I haven't heard a lot of people uh, do that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a big plus. So um, did you have a difficult time finding someone with, with that uh, that was that well-rounded? Um, yeah, I did. I had worked with somebody else before her and it didn't, it didn't work out, um, with the, with the other OBM that I had. I think, uh, I think her business was growing so fast. She just couldn't keep up with it. And, um, so I ended up finding her, um, through a networking site, um, I have to, I can't recall the woman's name. I think I know it, but I don't want to say it in case it's not the right name. <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> but, we'll include it in the show notes. And, you know, when you find it, just send it to me and I'll make sure to include a link, a mm. link there. Yeah. So I, uh, I, this woman, she does a networking where you tell her what you're looking for in terms of business help and she'll match you with somebody. So she posted what I was, I was looking for an OBM and then my um, OBM responded to that. Aha. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you feel comfortable sharing this, but could you give us an idea of what having someone like that would cost? And I know it depends on uh, the time that you use them, but uh, if, or if you're more comfortable just kind of giving us a range of what can, people can expect. 
Yeah, I think if you're looking, I looked at a few people um, before I, I selected my OBM last year, and um, and I looked at um, people in North America, and I think they tended to, for those type of services, range maybe in the 40 to 50 an hour range. Mm-hmm. Although you could get somebody who just does administrative work and um, not quite as much, and I think you can get somebody a little bit less if you just wanted to admin help. Yeah, that, that's what I found as well. And of course, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Crystal, who's my mm-hmm. uh, operations VP here at B2B Launcher in the Academy. So she's an online business manager. And mm-hmm. she, like yours, is very good with strategy. She's very well-rounded. And she's got both kind of the administrative, the operational. She's, she's got three sets of skills, administrative, operational, and then just business and marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. So it, and it's been, I mean, tremendous for me. I, I, there's no way I could do this without her. But I have a different business. So it's interesting to hear from someone who's got a writing business using an OBM. Yeah, I mean, it's such a huge help. I would recommend it. It, it was um, a big expense to consider, um, you know, but when you think about the long-term games and all the, and the, you know, all the time that you free up so that you could do other things, and then the fact that she's bringing in more clients for me, then that's, it's so worth it. So 40 to $50 an hour, that's been my experience as well. Could you give me an idea of based on the things that you use her for how many hours a month or a week do, do, do you have to use her for? Um, well, she has me on, um, I'm on the program, like a package that she has for the phone system. And I think I use her for about 10 hours a month for, you know, admin stuff, website updates, uh, things like that. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I would urge, and I agree with you. I want to echo what Rachel said, guys. It's um, this is not something you'll necessarily do when you're first starting out. But if you're at a level of your business where you're trying to get to the six-figure level, you're close to it, or you're already there, this is something I would seriously consider. Um, and if you can find someone with those skill sets that can do much more than just administrative work, I mean, hopefully, what Rachel shared here uh, will start will get you thinking about the possibilities because I completely agree. I mean, it's an investment in, in gosh, I'm curious and I, and we'll move on after this question, but I'm just really intrigued by this, Rachel. Um, did you have to train her on the, the qualifying part of the sales process? How did Uh, that work? So I had a qualifying process and I actually think I got it from, from you and Pete Savage when you did something through um, AWAI. Mm-hmm. And I, I use a very similar process where I have a list of questions that I would ask a potential client uh, when they called me. And, um, and I basically gave her that list and just kind of walked her through it. And so she has my list and those are the questions that she asks when, when uh, she speaks with someone. Okay. And she was able to get it pretty mm-hmm. quickly. It sounds like I mean, yeah. she's just a, a very savvy person. Yeah, for sure. And I can give you the name of her company, too, if anyone is interested. Absolutely. Let's include that in the show notes for for anyone who's looking in that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, So going back to kind of the setting the boundaries thing, especially with clients, um, now that you've been at this for a while, are there certain types of clients that you find are easier to work with and uh, that you're particularly looking for during this qualification phase? Sure. I am very, I always say to stay in your niche. And I'm, I, that's what I did. Um, I mean, I, when I was first starting out, I kind of had a couple of times when I went outside of 
that area. I work with B2B tech companies. And when I go out, when I went outside of the area a few times, it just never <laughs> went well. So I always like to stay in my niche because that's what I know. That's what I'm best at. And those are the types of clients that I like working with. So whatever your niche is, you know, just stay focused on it. Maybe in the beginning, you might need to, you know, take take what you can, but try not to just, you know, even when I was in the, at the beginning and I didn't have a lot of money coming in, I would still turn down work that I just didn't want to do. And sometimes I wondered if I was crazy, but ultimately it worked out. Yeah. I, I always say, look, it's a moving target, but that needle will move uh, as your business progresses and as you grow, right? Because mm-hmm. at first you should be much more flexible, but the better you get, the more you're earning, the more clients you have, uh, you should be pickier and pickier and pickier. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about when you engage, first engage with a client? Uh, how do you set expectations and wh- when, when do you do it and how do you do it? Um, that is something I'm always working on, but I have the, uh, my contract for all of my projects that states what the scope of the project is and the services that I'm going to provide and the deadline. So that's all in there. And other than, you know, meeting the deadline and doing a good job, I don't think my clients care if I'm available at one in the morning to answer an email. You know, it's not like I'm a, a 24-7 clinic or something where somebody's going to call me with a life-threatening emergency. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> so Yeah, that's why I'm in care. this business. I, I couldn't be a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um I agree and I think there's certain industries and certain types of writing and that's why I love B2B writing because you're not in a constant fire mode for the most part. I've also learned that um you know early on in the relationship I just start kind of planting those seeds. I never get it. I never do this cuz I've seen other writers do this. Right away they give their clients this list of rules. <laughs> Um, and I think that's a little too harsh. You haven't mm-hmm. developed that relationship yet. Mm-hmm. But as you move through, you know, I think you start planting seeds early on. And as you move through the process, you start, you continue to establish and solidify those expectations. Yeah, I think the difficult thing for me is when I go on vacation, I do get a little bit concerned that something's going to come up and maybe I'm going to miss an opportunity to work with somebody great or one of my clients is going to have something that they really need to get done. But what I do with that is I always let all my clients that I'm working with know very far in advance when I will be going on vacation so that we could do things, you know, get things done either before I leave or start when I get back. And then because my assistant's available, she could still do my scheduling. So if one of my clients has a project that they want to schedule me for right away when I get back, she could set up the phone calls and the meetings. Oh, you know what? I hadn't thought about that. But mm-hmm. yes, that is huge. There's nothing that bothers me more than having to check email or voicemail when I'm out on vacation. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you have someone answering the phone and handling appointments while you're gone means you can really uh, disconnect. That's got to be huge for you. Yeah. I mean, one time I even got a client when I was on vacation. I came back and there was a new client, new project waiting for me. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's fantastic. I know when I've done it, I always feel bad, not just because I just don't want to do it, you know, and then I do it and I feel mm-hmm. like it's cutting away from my, you know, kind of decompressing time because now I'm mentally and emotionally back at my desk Mm-hmm. If I ha- especially if I had to return a call or an email. Yeah. So if you have someone else screening that and letting people know, hey, she's out, um, but, you know, then handling it for you, that's uh, I'm sure that's a huge help. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So um, kind of wrapping things up here, uh, if you knew then what you know now, and I'm talking about then when you were starting out four or five years ago, in terms of work-life balance, setting healthy boundaries, is there anything you would have done differently? Yes. <laughs> I would say don't waste your time going to bad networking events. And uh, I used to do this one where I had to wake up at uh, 5.45 in the morning, and I am not a morning person. It was crazy. And I'd go to this meeting and once a week, and it, the people, I don't think I ever got any work from this group, and it was just a big waste of time. And when you're starting out in business, you're going to meet all these other people in business who think that think that they, they're helping you out by inviting you to all these networking events, but really think about who's going to be there. And if you have any remote chance of getting a a client, a good client from these types of meetings, because most of the time you're better off just sleeping in. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) So bad networking events. Mm -hmm. Yes. Be a little more strategic about that. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Anything else you can think of? Um, Let's see here. I would say, you know, Definitely stay focused on on your niche. That's a big one too, because um, I think maybe when uh, when you if you build experience in your niche, you'll enjoy it. It will be more rewarding. The projects will be easier. The clients will be better to work with, and everything will just flow smoother. And it will also build into your overall strategy of making you an expert in this particular area. And if you go, if you go out of that, then you're not going to be getting experience in the area that you want. The clients are going to be more difficult. The projects are going to take longer. It's going to cut into your personal time and and all of that. Did you start out, and you might have said this earlier, and I apologize if you did, but did you start out uh, declaring your niche right from day one, or did you evolve into it? I evolved into it. I tried. Um, I knew I wanted to go into B2B tech because my experience before that was a proposal writing for an architectural firm, and I did that for three years full time. But I knew that architects aren't the type to outsource a lot of their writing. And most of the writing that they do is proposals, which is something I I didn't really want to focus on any longer. So I translated that into B2B tech because architecture is very technical and I thought it would make a good translation. But at the same time, I had a lot of experience writing for nonprofits because I also worked for four years for a nonprofit doing marketing for them. Mm -hmm. So at first I was split and I was doing B2B tech and nonprofit writing. And then the B2B side just really just got huge. And uh, so I decided to focus solely on that that makes sense that makes Mm -hmm. sense i find that a lot of people it seem to do better by kind of finding their way through this process Mm -hmm. instead of declaring something from day one sometimes we don't know what we don't know and Mm -hmm. it looks good on paper but it's not until you get out there and start learning how it really works that uh, that's when you'll realize if it's if it was realistic or really more theoretical Mm mm-hmm so that's uh, that's good to know. I, I like to ask everyone, how to, especially everyone who's a specialist today, if they started out that way or not. Yeah. So uh, where can folks learn more about you? you tell us about your, your website, what you're up to these days. Oh, sure. They could visit at uh, copywritertoronto.com. And um, I have a blog there, B2B marketing, uh, content marketing tips. And then I also have a, um, an e-course on white paper writing, planning and writing and promoting your white paper. And so that is called No More Boring White Papers, and you'll see it all over my website when you go there. 
Oh, very cool. Well, I know we got a lot of people who write white papers or are trying to learn how to do that. So that's uh, that's very cool. And copyrightatoronto.com. That's uh, very smart of you. So that had nothing to do with SEO, right? No, it wasn't. It wasn't me though. I give all I, I give all the credit to Jamie Allman for uh, for uh, telling me to get that one. <laughs> I tell you what, I still probably my top term that people find me if if they're if they're searching on Google is still copywriter Atlanta mm-hmm. or B two B copywriter Atlanta or software copywriter Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting the local business is nice too because then you actually get to meet your clients in person. Yes. Yes. And I've found that it's deceiving. Like you might think, oh my gosh, well, that's the only way you got to do business locally. No, that just happens to be that for, I think for search engine, a lot of marketers are looking locally. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't mean that, you know, you can't have business elsewhere. It just means that from a search engine standpoint, I think that's one of the best ways to optimize. Yeah, I think about 60% of my business is local, but people from other parts of the world do do find my website through Google and social media. So even though it's optimized for Copywriter Toronto, it's optimized for other keywords as well. And it's hard to forget Copywriter Toronto. I love it. Mm -hmm. So Rachel, thanks so much for for coming on today, for sharing your your wisdom. Again, I I really believe this is an important topic. You know, we we get so caught up in the how do we get more clients, how to get more clients, how to get higher fees. All that stuff is super important. But my gosh, I've seen it. It's very easy to get caught up in all that. And next thing you know, uh, your health has suffered greatly and you're burning out rapidly. So I admire mm-hmm. you for not for for being very um, uh, set on these boundaries and the importance of setting them. Yes, it's very important because I've been burnt out and I don't want to go there again. No, defeats the purpose of being out on your own, right? Mm-hmm. All right, Jamie. Well, thanks again for coming on. It's great to have you. Great to talk to you. All right, great talking to you too. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview. And um, you know, I don't think I need to remind you that. You don't need to apply every tip and idea that Rachel shared here. The idea is not to, to take everything uh, at face value, is to adapt some of these things to where you are in your business, what works for you, what resonates with you, um, and make some of these ideas your own. I mean, that's, that's really the key point here. One of the biggest reasons that many of us become freelancers is to be free of the burden of traditional employment, to have more freedom and flexibility. But as many of you have found out, is up to us to make that flexibility a reality. We're in charge, and that's a good thing, but by being in charge, there's greater responsibility. It actually makes it harder sometimes to find the right balance and set the right boundaries. So as a reminder, you can grab the detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 27. And I had a couple of quick announcements before we sign off. First of all, I'm doing a free live training class next Thursday, November 7th on how to close 80% or more of the work you quote. This is a free class. It will be about 90 minutes long, including live Q&A, but I only have 500 seats available with GoToWebinar, which is the webinar provider that I'll be using. So if this sounds interesting, I urge you to grab your spot today because this class will fill up. I have no doubt about it. A couple of people are going to be promoting it. Um, and uh, I, I think it'll be, it'll be full 
way before um, the day of the class. So to, to learn more about it, just go to closingmoredeals.com. You can learn more about it there and you can grab your seat there. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be very, very grateful if you shared it with friends and colleagues. And the easiest way to do that is just to use any of the social media sharing buttons that you see on the show notes page, which again, b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 27, or just go to b2blauncher.com forward slash love. And of course, it would always mean a lot to me if you were willing to give me a quick rating or review in iTunes. You can get there very quickly at b2blauncher.com forward slash iTunes. And that will launch iTunes from there, take you straight to the show page. You can leave a quick star rating or an honest sentence or two about the show. So thanks in advance for considering that. This brings us to the end of the episode. I am your host, Ed Gandia. Thank you so much for listening today. And I hope you have an awesome day. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.